Right. I haven't preached in ages, so it's great to be here. I am. Um, that's not going to help. So, yeah, it's good to be back. Actually, feeling a little bit nervous. I'm sharing um, my life story. Um, so, it's different. I normally stand up here and preach, but it's going to be a little bit different today. Just sharing a story. And uh, it'll be a little bit more intimate and, and vulnerable, so um, it's good. And um, there's been a number of people doing that in the church. I can look around and just see there's it's been like five or six people who stood up and shared intimate stories about their life. And it's it's funny because when you're sitting from the side, it's quite um, it's quite chill to just listen to someone's story and you're like, oh, okay, it's quite hectic, but not not such a big deal. But the person standing up here is going like, this is my life, it was so hectic, and um, it, can be, it can be quite daunting. Um, so I just, I saw this in the week, we may impress, oops, does it go off on its own? Will it come back on? We may impress people by our strengths, but we connect with them through our vulnerabilities. So, yeah, just to, just to say that that would have been me a few years ago standing up here and trying to impress you with preaching strength. But to, to stand up here and say I'm actually more interested in connecting with you through a vulnerability is, um, is where's, where's dear Jen? She, she loves that, eh? Brene Brown. You're very proud of me, eh? So Jen's been championing that for many years, but it's, it's a whole other level to connect with your life with someone rather to stand up and show preaching gifting and preaching strength, which is also awesome. But yeah, today I want to just share my whole, a whole long story of my life. I'll try and keep it down to the time. We'll see if we can do that. But um, I just want to start off by, um, I just wrote a note and I wanted to publicly do this just to honor Brendan. He's been doing um, a men's course with us for the last uh, over a year and we finished it on Tuesday. So just to say, Brendan, he's served into our lives for over a year. Every, every, every week at his home for two hours, he'll prepare teaching for us. And we finished our Surrendered Life course on Tuesday. So, Brendan, I just wanted to say thank you. And it was just a public, public opportunity to thank you for that. And um, I know there was five or six guys in that, and it's been very rewarding. And um, we fully surrendered. We're there. Right, so before I start, I'm not going to be talking about my journey because a journey, Bill Johnson, seen this from Bill Johnson, a journey, you know where you're going from A to B. I'm going to be speaking about my adventure because an adventure never knows where it's going. So we are actually on an adventure in the Lord, not on a journey because a journey knows the destination, but an adventure certainly doesn't know where it's going to end up, but it knows the one it's with. And um, my sort of story is one of an adventure with the Lord where He's been with me every step, yet it's never really, I've never really known where it's going. And I suppose that's the scary thing. So my, my life's been um, um, characterized by really two halves. If I think back to my, my first 18, 19 years of my life, very, um, very easy life. Um, really a great life. I was at great school, um, 
highly successful, um, top of the pops, you know, just um, succeeding in stuff. And I was a big fish in a small pond. And um, things were just, I remember even saying sometime when I was 18, like, you know, life's easy. Actually, remember, I remember verbalizing that to myself. It's quite arrogant. But I actually remember walking and saying, you know, life is just easy. I've got this thing. I remember verbalizing that to myself, which is quite scary to think back. And um, something happened, which kicked off when I was 19, which I'll start to explain now. But um, things seriously took a, took a change. And I've been, I've been dealing with something for about 17 years of my life. And um, it's, it's, quite, it's, 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 been a, it's been a banner over my life for 17 years where it wasn't there the first 19 where things were just very easy. And I'll, I'll slowly talk towards I, in a weird way, I feel it's probably, it's probably, as much as it hasn't been the Lord, it hasn't been the Lord. I don't know if you know what I mean by that. Sometimes our trials are not clearly from the Lord, yet they sovereignly are from God, using to shape us. But I've been, I've been dealing with, um, I would, I'd like to, I would like to call it just an anxiety disorder, but I'll call it, I'll call it, I've been dealing with anxiety, but underneath that there are many branches, but particularly the branch I want to speak about, which I really suffered with, was OCD. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but I'll talk a little bit, a bit, a bit, a bit more about that, but it's obsessive compulsive disorder, and it has many forms, but um, you might have, you might have, you might have uh, said it lightly, you know, oh geez, I'm so OCD about that, or I double check the lights, or... I've got, sometimes I want to go and wash my hands twice, or there's very mild forms of OCD which we deal with, but um, as a, actually as a condition, it can be very debilitating. So I'll try and, I'll try and paint a little bit more of a picture, because it's important for you to understand what I was going through. Um, has anyone seen the movie The Aviator? There's a guy called Howard Hughes. And um, I'll just read, I'll read quickly about... I just want to read a little bit about Howard Hughes quickly, because he gives an indication. Um, his, his, his obsessive compulsive disorder got so, so severe that it, there's one scene in the movie where he's trapped up and trapped up in, have you seen the aviator? He's trapped, okay, he's trapped up at the top of his house, and he's walking around naked, and it's, it's insane the level of his obsessive thoughts that got him. But I'll just read this about Howard Hughes. Howard Hughes was dining with actress Jane, Jane Greer at Cyrus on the Sunset Strip in Los Angeles one evening in 1947. At one point in the meal, he excused himself to go to the restroom. To Greer's amazement, he did not return for an hour and a half. When he finally reappeared, she was astonished to see that he was soaking wet from head to toe. What on earth happened to you, she asked. Well, Hughes said, I spilled some ketchup on my shirt and pants and had to wash them out in the sink. He then let them dry for a while, hanging them over one of the toilet stores. Once he put his clothes back on, he explained, I couldn't leave the bathroom because I couldn't touch the door handle. I had to wait for somebody to come in. According to Peter Brown, da 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 da, Joan Greer never went out with Hughes again. <laughs> Howard Hughes was eccentric, certainly, but he was not a freak. He was suffering from obsessive compulsive disorder, a classic and severe case. By the end of his life in 1976, he was so overwhelmed by the disease, he spent his last days in isolation in the top floor suite at the Princess Hotel in Acapulco, where he had himself sealed into a hospital-like atmosphere, terrified of germs. Blackout curtains at every window kept all the sunlight out. 
of the sun. The sun, he thought, might transmit the germs he so dreaded. Aided with facial tissues covering his hands that brought him food, which had to be precisely cut and measured. Rumours abounded that he was so reclusive because of drug abuse and a syphilitic condition or terminal dementia, but actually all his strange behaviours are really understandable or symptoms of a severe case of obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, so for me, when I read that, I actually, I actually get it because it started to happen to me when I was 19. I, um, I left school and I went from, as I was saying, big fish, small pond to tiny little fish and big pond. And I started to suffer quite a, a, low, a low level in my life. And I must have, I must have um, looking back, I actually think I touched on some sort of depression. I, um, I just had some really negative feelings of worthlessness and... It was very. It was. It was a very low place, and I'll never forget the moment where, in that place, I had my very first obsessive thought. And um, as I explain OCD to you, I just want you to understand that it's. It sounds so bizarre because as you sit here in your right mind, you can't quite put the handle on someone who might be losing their mind. But the reality of this thing is. I don't know, I'm, I'm, I think I'm sure I'm speaking to some people who have felt like they've actually lost track of their mind, where anxiety and things have become so overwhelming that it's spinning and you can't get a grip on reality. And um, this is what actually started happening to me. I had, a, I had the very first thought I had, which I remember um, I, I'd said something about somebody behind their back. It wasn't a, a hectic thing, but I'd done something. And this thought came into my mind that this guy was going to actually come and beat me up. And I had this obsessiveness for about a month that this guy was going to come get me. And I had actual fear that something terrible was going to happen to me. And the thing about um, OCD is it actually takes, your, it takes what you value and it flips it around. So if you value like being responsible, if you value doing kind things, it can flip it around and make you obsess about the opposite, that you've done something terrible. Or an example is if I don't check the door, um, someone's going to break in and kill my family. Now, it's, it, 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 it's, it's so hard to explain because it, it, your mind just jumps to like a whole other level. But this is what started happening to me. And um, I, didn't have a, I didn't have a clue what was going on. I was just starting to have rushing thoughts, anxious thoughts, and I didn't actually, I didn't actually know what, I was, what was going on. And my response is compulsion. So obsession is to have the obsessive thought, and the compulsion is to try and reduce your behavior by doing an action. So a good example is, I, I would, uh, this was happening in my home, I would, um, I would go around in the evening to check the doors were locked, and I'd lock the door, and I'd walk away from the door and and I, I wouldn't be able to have that feeling that I'd actually locked it. So I would, I would check it again. And I actually, ended up, I actually ended up breaking door handles in the house because I was checking it so hard. Because you can, you can stand there and, and say I've locked it and stand away and get the feeling that it wasn't actually locked. And you check it again and you can step away. And it's as bizarre as it sounds, but you can't get the feeling that you've locked it. Because the, the obsession is so strong. And, and what happens in the disorder is you do a compulsion to reduce your anxiety, which is to check it. So you check it harder and you check it harder. And all you do is you're telling your brain the obsession is real. The obsessive thought is real. 
and you do a compulsion and you lock in the train in your mind. So OCD is obsession which tempts you to do a compulsion and as soon as you do the compulsion you've affirmed that the obsession was real and you've told your fight or flight in your mind to re-signal that back to yourself later. So what happens is you, you re-signal yourself and your mind starts telling you again and again that something's real. And um, you, re- you manage to reduce your anxiety by checking the door, but later on it comes and hits you back even harder because you've communicated to your brain that it's real. So this is why when you read a story about Howard Hughes, he ends up walking around naked, scared that the sun is transmitting germs. He has people bringing in food and white gloves. He can't touch anything. He's isolated. That's the degree of where this thing can go. And you can't sit and logically tell him what he's doing is wrong. And um, this thing started clapping me in all directions because I didn't know what was going on and I was acting on all the compulsions. And I had this secret battle that I was doing and I was, I was just in such a place in my life where, and even um, growing up my, in my family, we didn't necessarily, were not necessarily particularly open about all these things. And I didn't necessarily just go and blurt it out, I'm struggling with this thing. It became this secret battle for two to three years. And the things were getting so bad that I was, I was driving and I was thinking that I was knocking people over and I had to go in, in loops with my car. And I would sometimes take two hours to do a 20-minute drive. And you read, you read the stories like this. And this, At first, I didn't know what was going on with me. You're just trying to reduce your anxiety. So you check, you check, you check, you check. And it got worse and worse. And it got into more and more areas of my life. So I had this, I had like this full-time job of trying to reduce my anxiety that was just, it was getting out of, out of control. And um, I must say, for you read, the, you read the books, and sometimes OCD doesn't get diagnosed in people's lives for like 10 years, because they don't know what it is. They're just having a thought. And um, it's so hard to explain, but like another example would be, if I touch that door handle, I'm going to get AIDS, because maybe someone had a cut on their finger or something like that. If I say that to you, your mind might go, ah, but you know, you, ah, it's just not logical. It's just not logical. It's not going to happen. But to someone with obsessive thoughts, <sighs> borderline panic attack. Now, I've, we've had people share up in, in church before about have experiencing panic attacks before, but that was a very reality. I started crossing into panic attacks because the obsessiveness was getting so bad and I was... I didn't know how to treat it that I was doing all the compulsions and I was getting myself into such a tiz that I was crossing into panic attacks, waiting, waking up in the middle of the night, um, feeling like my whole back was on fire because of the, the panic attacks. And you don't even know what you're anxious about, but you're dealing with a, this raw feeling of anxiousness. You know, and this was going on and on. And then I'll just jump into another part of the journey was trying to then deal with this was... Um, obviously, I started off telling my parents eventually that I didn't know what was going on, seeing um, psychologists. The first psychologist took two years to diagnose me that I had OCD. And he said, you might have OCD after me sharing all of that stuff with them. And you get, you get um, unfortunately, in psychology, you get different streams. And one of the streams are more on the, 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 the Freudian side, which want to delve into your past. And see that when you were four, your mother dropped you on your head and ignored you, and you're dealing with a childhood wound that 
and I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit um, critical and negative about it because the guy danced me around in for two years trying to deal with Freudian issues in my life, delving into my past. He was writing his thesis on how you can come out the womb in a in the wrong way, and he thought I was fitting into his thesis. And I just I look back and I'm actually so bummed with the guy, you know. He had me there every, once a week talking about the stuff, uh, you know, and you start taking medication and it makes your head buzz. And I'm on this full journey. And eventually I, I work out after maybe three years that I could have this obsessive compulsive disorder. And I went and got some books and I started reading about it and I was like, oh my word, this is exactly what I'm dealing with. But actually... What happened when I first started reading about it is that I never really, I never really grasped myself that was what was wrong with me. And I think sometimes when we catch a diagnosis, we can't quite engage with that was what was wrong with me. And um, I continued to do the compulsions and to try and reduce my own anxiety. And I stayed in a lock until maybe after six years, I'm just jumping, I can't even remember the full story, but after six years, I saw a behavioral therapist who, who asked me to write down every single obsessive and compulsive action I was doing. And I had such a long list, he said to me, I'm sorry, I don't know where to start with you. This is one of the worst cases I've ever seen. And he, he eventually started to drive with me to help me with my driving because my, I was so anxious when I was driving that my neck would lock up like this. And I couldn't turn because as I turned, I'd be anxious something was coming in my blind spot. So it's very hard to explain that, but I was, and I still struggle with that, to tell you the truth. And he would sit with me and do um, behavioral therapy where I'd have to loosen up my neck. And this is a full-on, full-blown anxiety disorder I'm dealing with. And um, this went on and on. I went to um, another psychiatrist, uh, a guy who had a terrible bedside manner and... Um, his job was just to fiddle with, fiddle with medication until he thought, he thought he would hit the right one with me, you know. And that also went on for a number of years. Eventually I took myself off the medication myself because it was just irritating me. Going along, 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 I'm just jumping around. It's such a, it's such a long, long battle for me, you know. Um, I'll get to some of the good bits now. This is all the bad bits. Um, until probably last year where... It had reached, this is now after many years, <laughs> until up to last year, where it had reached, we'd reached such a point in about July last year that I think I actually suffered like a full-on breakdown. That it had got so bad that my mind was, I was just out of control of my mind and this thing was just spiraling. And um, I remember um, a day... Uh, last year in July I was at, the, at my office and I was actually it's quite an intense thing to have a breakdown where you're where you actually mentally are breaking down and your mind is spinning so fast that you you cannot get a grip you just cannot get a grip on a touch of reality that just stays still everything's moving and I, and I had to leave my office and I had to go and stand in the bathroom and um I looked in the mirror and I was, I was, I felt like my mind was just going and I, I, it was weird all along because the spirit is with you. So I started to speak in tongues. I was like going, because the spirit was, he was trying to hold me up. It's been a weird, it was this weird concoction of 
mental breakdown and Holy Spirit. And um, he was trying to hold me up. And I actually, I ran out of the office and I ran onto Seapoint Main Road. And I messaged Carl and I was like, I'm having a nervous breakdown. And you know, I'm going to leave the office. Can you come see me? Um, anyway, that's, that, that, that was the kickoff of a week of pretty much hell where I actually... I think I, I was on the on the edge of like a psychosis. <sighs> yeah. Mm. It's weird. You don't. Funny thing about pain is you don't actually. Once you go through it, and you're feeling better. You don't track back. You don't track back into your pain and try and remember how your pain felt. You kind of box it, and you're like, "That felt crap," and I feel better now, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go there and process it. But it was a, a deeply, a deeply um, strange time. <laughs> and there were a couple of you who were with me in that time. Nikki moved in with me for a week. Thanks, Nix. It's a cool part of the story. She prayed on the Thursday, God, I've got so much capacity in my life right now. Will you please send me someone to help? And she literally prayed that. She prayed that on the Thursday and on the Friday I phoned and I said, I'm basically dying. Will you come? And she moved in and looked after me and fed me and it was amazing. People prayed with me. Got various people here actually supporting this morning. You were praying with me. Fee came. Those were some of the most whack prayer times I've ever been in don't I was going to suggest and don't bring spirit filled believers to lay hands on you, you when you're going through psychosis mental breakdown because that Susie Tricky came and she laid hands on me and I don't know what she thought was going on in my life but I started screaming and it wasn't good I actually I didn't want anyone near me because it started getting so weird because who even knows how it works spirit mind depression anxiety psychosis who even knows how these things fit together and when you start throwing it together it gets really really weird and so i am um, i am um, doing right for time i am um, it just got so bad that I, I left my house in Woodstock and I went back to my parents' house just because I needed to be somewhere where I had a resemblance of safety, which was like childhood growing up. And um, you know, I, was, I was waking up, I was waking up in the middle of the night with pains in my head. I was, I was so confused what was going on. I thought it was full on like demonic attack. It was, there was an element of demonic stuff going on. Um, there was an element of just very natural psychosis breakdown and um, it reached such a point where I was still on a journey of I just don't want to go back on medication I don't want to go back on medication and it reached such a point where this is where it starts to get better um, I woke up the one morning I'd thrown the towel and was going to work I just couldn't do anything I was just at home I was like just gardening and just trying to do something sounds like weeding that was what I was doing in the day weeding trying to take weeds out the grass it was like the, and then walking, I'd walk and then come weed and then walk and then come weed because my mind was just so out of control. Um, I woke up and I just said to my mom, 
I cannot do it anymore. And I just remember I had, I had two, I had these obsessive thoughts, I had this negative feeling coming on me. It felt like I was, I mean, I just thought like the devil was trying to take me out. Um, and I just said, I, I, I was just crying. I was just crying. Mom, I can't do it anymore. Ugh, I need to do something. So she freaked out. She was like, okay, we need to get you to a psychiatrist, book you in, do whatever we've got to do. I don't know if you've ever tried to contact a psychiatrist in Cape Town on short notice. It's frightening to understand if they booked up two months. And it's scary to understand the level of psychiatric problems that actually go on in the city. I phoned about 10 guys. They were all booked up two months. There was no booking for two months to see a psychiatrist. So you cannot get medication. So we were sitting there in a spin. We don't know how to get medication. And luckily, um, this was all amazing connection. I got a message from um, Jess at 10.30 that morning. All the leadership were at the Vineyard Conference. And they said, we're praying for you. And um, you're going to get your breakthrough this morning. I was like, this is the worst morning. And they wrote to me, you're going to get your breakthrough this morning. And I remember Luke, you and Brad both said, as you're praying for me, you started getting pains in your head. There was this bizarre scenario that they were in PE praying for me and were getting pains in their head. While I was sitting in Cape Town with physical pains in my head, it was so bad. And they were saying, you're going to get your breakthrough. I was like, I don't see it. I really don't see it. And um, I suppose that's God. When there is no way, He makes the way. When this, when. When the Israelites are completely trapped, he parts the Red Sea, right? So it might sound it might sound a little bit lame how it worked out, but it was just amazing in the moment. My mom does medical research, and she suddenly thought she knew a GP who might just be able to prescribe me. But GPs on psychiatrists, so she phoned a guy at twelve o'clock. He had just got back from holiday, and he said, "I could see me at quarter to one." That was quite a miracle. So I got in my car, drove there, had like a three-minute consult. He just said, boom, 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 boom. I understand what you're going through. Here's the medication. And uh, honestly, I took, I took an antipsychotic medication called Solian, which actually is, is given to people with schizophrenia. It calms your mind down. And um, I took it, and I actually felt the difference within five minutes. It calmed me down. And I started on a journey of slowly coming out of this, this thing. And um, that was a real rock-bottom place of the journey. And, um, yeah, so just a slab. I've been slowly coming out of that. You, some of you remember me a year ago sitting in the back of the church. I didn't look very well, but that was when I was there. And there's been a slow, a slow journey coming out into, into health and into correct mind. And God... Um, teaching me as my own counselor what's been wrong with me and I, to be honest I actually am at a point where I probably treat myself I'm, I'm tired of going to counselors and stuff because I think they end up confusing me I don't want to be negative towards the medical but God's really brought me to a place where I've understood what was wrong with me in my own life and even sharing Tess's journey your long journey Tess where you've worked out yourself what was wrong and you've been able to spring healing and, and create your own treatment for yourself and um, I'm now at a place where I'm, I think I'm at the healthiest I've been for a very long time. And I'm, I'm getting the right care and the right treatment. I'm seeing, 
seeing a Christian counselor, I'm seeing, a, I'm seeing the correct behavioral therapists who treat OCD, I'm seeing uh, two psychiatrists who can monitor the medication. So I think I'm in the best place I've ever been with people I like and uh, Christian counselors who can help me. Um, four people trying to look after me. So it's been a hectic, hectic journey, um, adventure. And um, I am where I am today where I can share this. So yeah, that's the story. There's a lot more to it, but can you just plug that back in again? I just wanted to share four things in, in this story that the Lord, the Lord has showed me. And um, I, just want to sh- I just want to say to you guys who are maybe hearing the story and, and wondering how do I relate to this. This falls under the category of trial. This falls under the category of uh, mental, mental issues, depression, anxiety. Um, so I just want to say as a, as a, as a way to relate, um, this doesn't have to be, I don't have OCD, I can't relate to this. It, it can be so many things in your life where you've had to process something that's so hard. And as Paul said, so perplexing. I'm so perplexed. I cannot see a way out. It grinds me that this is so difficult and so frustrating. I'm cornered in and perplexed. So whatever that is in your life, I'm sure you can all come up with something straight away. Um, I just want to go away. I just want to touch on four things that the Lord has given me just for this morning. Um, so this is out of Deuteronomy 31.6 and then Jesus also says it later in the New Testament he says um, I'll never leave you nor forsake you and he said this to the Israelites at a time where he said go forward, conquer, take the land uh, there will be many armies and many things that will come against you and he says be strong and courageous do not be afraid or terrified because of them for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And that, that, that scripture only makes sense when you feel left alone and you feel forsaken. It doesn't make sense, that scripture, until you feel those two things. Because Jesus comes in the opposite spirit of, I feel left alone and I feel forsaken. To feel forsaken is a terrible thing. To, to, to feel detached from anyone who even cares. You are forsaken. There's nothing, there's nothing, there's no hope place of desperation and Jesus comes into that place and says I'll never leave you I'll never forsake you and um, it's to anyone who's walked in a really deep trial to know that the Lord speaks over you I'll never, fors- I'll never forsake you is a deeply healing word yeah. to know that he is Emmanuel God with you and um, to me if I, if I look if I look back in the, in the, in the, in the story and adventure Every single moment where it's been at its worst, God's presence is at its strongest. Because He'll never leave me nor forsake me. And um, just to say, whatever you're going through in your trial, He doesn't forsake you. It's the most incredible promise as a Christian that we have the living God who will never leave you nor forsake you. You know, we, we, we're, not, we're not dealing with religion here where we, 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 we're having our best guess about who God is. We're dealing with the living God. Who deals with us in a living manner by His Spirit. 
What a privilege to be able to, at any single moment, say, God, thank you for your presence in my life. I know you're real. We don't realize the privileges that, as a believer, that we have that. And just my second thing here, you, you only know God is all you have until He is all you've got. I'll just say it again. You only know God is all you, sorry, you, you only know God is all you need until He is all you've got. And there's a beautiful thing about a place of brokenness is that you realize God is all I actually truly need. And you only realize that when He's all you've got. And um, that was another profound lesson that comes out of these trials. Um, Jesse, you shared this once when you gave testimony as well for similar things that had happened in your life. Um, uh, this scripture is is it is it is another profound word. When I was at my worst last year, just meditating on this was uh, very touching for me. If you can imagine a a broken stick. It's on the verge of breaking completely. But the Lord says here, a bruised reed, he will not break. He will not, it won't snap. It's hanging on by a tiny little fiber, but it will not snap. And a smoldering wick, he will not snap out. If you can imagine a candle and the flame is about to go out. It's about to go out. It's about to die. No more fire, no more light. He will not snap it out. He will breathe back life until the flame can come up. In faithfulness, He will bring forth justice. And ju- God's justice is always restorative. It's always healing. His mercy always comes to release true justice, which is to bring restoration. Justice has got nothing to do with the vindictiveness of God must get even. How far is that from God's nature? That God would need to get even in His anger. It's so far from Him. But true justice is to bring restoration and healing. That is his justice, to see restoration. And his faithfulness is connected to his justice. Because he's faithful to bring forth that mercy, to bring forth his justice, to restore you. And when you're on the edge there, when you're on the brink, his faithfulness steps in. His, his mercies are new every morning. I was, when I was in my worst, I walked around the garden singing that, great is, his, great is his faithfulness, his mercies are new every morning. Every morning, His mercies are new for your life. Um, I'll just, one more scripture. So as I look, if I look over the whole journey, the whole adventure, the whole story... And I, and I look back and I, and I say, what has the Lord been doing? I, I come to the scripture. Consider it pure joy. Consider means to actually count it. How often when you're going through your trial right now, do you sit there and you count it joy? Actually count it pure joy. We don't really count it. We just end up complaining. But the scripture says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance let perseverance finish its work so that you may be maybe mature and complete not lacking anything and um, it's in the worst moments where you wonder what the Lord's doing and why is it so hard that you realize at, it's at the depths of the pain it's at the depths of the brokenness 
that he's shattering everything you place your hands on to try and find a grip of life. And he makes you grab onto him and to discover him. There's a great book I read many years called Shattered Dreams. And the whole premise of the book was God shatters our lower, dream, our lower dreams. All the things we put our hope in, career and family, those are great things. But they're not where we find life. They're not where we find joy. They're not where we find our rock. God actually allows a trial to come in to shatter those things. To break those things down so that we might rest on Him fully. Right. And um, so that you may know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And perseverance is like, oh, I'm hanging on, I'm hanging on, I'm hanging on. And it says, let perseverance finish its work. Let perseverance take its full course. Because the good news is that at the end of it, you may be mature, complete, lacking in nothing. God wants you to lack in nothing. And he's not talking so much about the ex- ex- exterior lacking, but it's lacking nothing in your character. That's what he's doing. He is building Christ into you so deeply that you are lacking nothing. That you are Christ yourself. Christ is fully established in you. And it's, it's through the brokenness and through the pain that he forms Christ in you. Therefore, when we realize that, we can count it all joy. If I realize my trial is forming Christ in me, I can count it all joy. I cannot start counting things as joy when I do not realize that's what he's doing. And um, we, need to, we, need to, we need to reconsider what I, the thing I'm going through and start to count it as joy. And start to understand he's doing something really profound. And um, yeah, just to say, if I look back at who I was as a 19-year-old, and I look at who I am now, God's formed Christ in my life. That I can stand up and with substance speak about Jesus and speak with weight about who He is and who His character is and have the boldness to say it and have the boldness to live from. That has been deep work for God to get into a very selfish 19-year-old that was more concerned about the things of the world than the things of the Lord. And... Um, God has had to do what it, what it takes to form that stuff in me. And, um, yeah, so just to say to you, as, as crazy as it sometimes gets, as bad as it sometimes gets, um, there's so much beautiful stuff in the gospel that we can hang on to, to know that God is still doing something with my life. And there's a victorious ending coming. There's a victorious ending coming. And, um, I'm excited. I'm, I'm maybe 70, 80% of the way out of this thing. And I want to stand on God's promises, draw my circle around being uh, 100% better, 100% in my right mind. I have the mind of Christ already, but I want to walk in the reality of the mind of Christ in my life. I want to walk in, in the fullness of what He has for me. He doesn't have plans for ruin. He's got plans to prosper me. He's got plans for me to walk in fullness. He's got plans for me to not be a survivor, but to be a pioneer. You're not called to survive. You're called to pioneer. You're not called to be underneath things. You're called to be on top of them. Okay, you'll make everything, you'll make everything under your feet like Jesus sits and things are under His feet. So it's about the perseverance. It's about hanging in there and waiting for the time when God fully reveals Christ formed in you. Amen. Yeah, yeah.
Cool. So, awesome. Thanks for listening to that and, and um, sharing what I've been going through. And it's been, a, it's been such a great part of the story that I've been able to be so more open with this. I was so closed up with some of my issues in my life for so long. But there's so much healing from the vulnerability in sharing it. So I just want to encourage you, whatever you're going through, um, tell someone, be open about it. Um, it's so funny, we're more, we're more scared about sharing it than the other person is about hearing it. People don't actually care. <laughs> People don't really care. They're like, okay, cool, you got an issue, you got a serious issue in your life, whatever, where am I going for lunch? It's like, seriously, you think your issue is so bad, but it's actually not. It's like such a lie. It's such a lie to be closed up. The devil loves your isolation, eh? He loves your box, he loves your dark corner where you're cowering. And you, you're hiding there, cowering from nothing. There's nothing there, but you're in the dark. Just open the window, let the light come in, let the healing come in. Cool, so we're going to pray. Maybe you want to come, um, come and forward, and that, that step is, is you stepping out of your trial right now, stepping out of your darkness, stepping into the light. Maybe some people can just lay hands on you. Uh, maybe you want to just receive a prophetic word in what you're going through. But it's something about taking that step, isn't there? So let's stand. I'll just pray. If, if God wants to do something, we can engage with Him. If not, we can, we can just call it a day. Maybe if there's some prophetic words in the church, as we can bring it forward. So Lord, we invite your, invite your presence. You know each person's life so well, Lord. You know the, you know the complexities of our life. Life is, is so messy, so complex, Lord. But you are, you are Emmanuel. You are with us. You're right in it, Lord. You're right in that depression. You're right in that anxiety. You're in that perplexing place. That situation that just will not change. You are in it, Lord. You see it. You know it. So, Lord, we, we, we start off with gratitude and we say thank you that you're with us. You never leave me. You never forsake me. You're with me. Your promise of your presence is what we can lean on all the time, Lord. We can lean back into it all the time. Thank you, Jesus. You said in this world we will have trouble, but you have overcome the world. And you've overcome the world, Lord, by your presence. Because you are with us. That is how you overcome the world. So, Holy Spirit, we invite you. We pray you'll just touch on hearts now. We pray where people are going through um, difficult things, you will release a sense of peace. A sense of joy and a sense of hope again.